0: Just us. Dobry deyn. Just us. That's another way to say, that's a good day in Russian. <laughs> is this going to be an ongoing thing now? Well, there's there are several ways to say it. Yeah. Okay. I've already talked about Zdraszvojtje, which is the more formal, and then there's uh, Privyet, which is Do informal. you actually speak Russian? or yeah, is another way you'll hear Zdraszvojtje uh, shortened, but uh, do I speak Russian? Not No, not at all.
1: Okay, well, except for a little bit, obviously.
0: Well, I know several words for hello. Thank you is pasibo. Mm-hmm. I
1: think Bajolte is please. Yeah. H- how do you say, please show mercy? <laughs> you just throw yourself
0: on the ground and and start crying. I think that's a universal. I got that. I think I've got that. So today, no guest. No guest. Just... Well, uh, I think I'm the guest and you're the guest of each of the other. That's a nice way to think about it, right? Strong start for this episode,
1: Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Trying to trying to bring a little light into this world. I know. It, do, it doesn't feel like it, does it? I mean... Uh, it, it doesn't feel like I'm trying to bring a little... No,
0: uh, I, I'm sorry. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like it, I'm it, trying. It,
1: but. Well, maybe it feels like you're trying. Maybe it feels like you're trying too hard. Oh. Because there is so little light. Yeah. Where shine, do where do I start? Do I start the episode shine here? Shine your
0: life like a light. Mm. Isn't that the Indigo Girls song?
1: I think you're thinking of I'm going to let it shine. Mm, this little something, I think something. Maybe you're thinking of Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> I think you're thinking of Shakespeare and Love. Mm. He
0: stars in that, right? He's uh, one of the he's one of the actors.
1: I think you're thinking of one of those cleanse di- juice diets. Oh yeah. All right. Okay. 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 Let's enough nonsense. Um, th- th- that first part is just like, it's trying to shake loose the casual listeners. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so far. Uh, so I think we succeeded. I <laughs> uh, just kind of shake them loose. See, people say, I, I don't have time for this. I don't yeah. have time for nonsense. They've already hit stop. Right. The people, Unsubscribe. <laughs> they're throwing their phone into the pond in disgust. Right. And the people who are left, Bye. they know that like you don't get a diamond Without wading around through a lot of coal this is true yeah yeah you you don't get a you don't get a pearl without uh without a little bit of muck without a little irritant yeah a little irritant in there and now you're sick I do have some gak I have some <laughs> lung gack okay you didn't I say, apologize about that but no I I'm just noticing you're sniffling a little bit little, like a little sniffling a lot of coughing and and I wanted to make sure that we visited. Kind of the health corner of the show since we're we've been doing health updates lately. It's a common thing.
0: Yeah, talk about health. You were you you were quite sick. Yeah, you seem
1: better by the way. Terrific. (laughs) 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 (coughs) Oh my! That's I think that's going to be our show eventually. We talked about how we're going to talk about our health problems. Like that's going to be just going to be coughing, but just a coughing. You know, oral coughing, not oral <laughs> argument, oral coughing. That's it. Oh, it sounds like, you know, it's it's a perfect for a dystopian tale, isn't it?
0: It is. And I think by that point, we will also will have renamed the show Dialysis. <laughs> just, you
1: know. Ah, boy, the, the words aren't coming. I just, I don't know what's, I, we got to get into this. I think we just got to open the mailbag. Like my brain's working slowly. Like we should have poured a bunch of coffee. We need a bunch of OA coffee. mm. Remember that time that listener bunny sent us some coffee oh, that, that she good. had made herself? Yeah, she
0: had roasted it. Yeah. I don't think she grew the beans, but I'm for, I think I, she roasted them. I'm
1: going to say since we don't know, I'm going to say yes she did, she grew the beans. Okay, cool. Yeah. Opening the mailbag now, Joe. Zheep. In your mind's eye, how do you picture the mailbag? It's a it's an old canvas mm. sack with the US mail printed on the side of it. Ooh, see I I think of it more like a like a red velvet, like with a like a, a rope, like a like a nice rope. What do you call those nicer ropes? Something like Santa might have. Oh. something Santa might have, and you kind of you kind of pull it open, and you just kind of look in at the marbles within. Well, if we're gonna do that,
0: mm-hmm. if we're gonna go highbrow here, I'm gonna think and, of it and as And of a course, min- we are. Is there any <laughs> yeah, question about think, that? I'm gonna think of it as a as a a UK uh, minister's box. So it's a red briefcase st- style box.
1: Oh, uh, is this? Is when this the from handle
0: the... is on the hinge side, okay. Uh, actually, and uh, you open the box, and inside are your your various ministerial papers.
1: Okay, is this from the first episode of Black Mirror?
0: <laughs> no. Oh, I, di- I didn't know. I mean, that might have they might have featured such a box, but this is a this is a standard uh, in in all film and TV representations of the UK government. Somewhere there is a minister's box being bandied about okay but
1: there's not always a pig not always what there's not always a pig though no okay just i, I wasn't sure i, I haven't Just in that. i think you've consumed more uk um um uh, than entertainment than i have oh absolutely you think so yeah no question hmm. at least i've been trying <laughs> i mean that's been my goal i thought you switched to russian i thought that was the whole premise of the start of the show <laughs> okay and en- enough enough nonsense let's get into the other nonsense which is going through our mailbag now. Now, our, to to be clear, the feedback we've gotten is not nonsense. Not at all, far from it. But we will re- we return the, the many pearls of wisdom contained within uh, with nonsense. Ooh. I go when I, I look all the way back to April. It's yeah, been, it's been that long. Is that that's what you told me earlier crazy. today? Um, so let's, let's start with, let's start with this one. So, I, you know, we've gotten feedback on Facebook. We're oral argument on Facebook. Yep. I went through there. I called some of the comments. I may have missed some. I tried to find most of the comments to which we had not responded. And I've tried to organize them here. Uh, we've got the Twitter. We are at oral argument on Twitter. Yep. Follow us there. That one's a little easier for me to follow. Um, and we are oral argument podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Listener Spencer. So we're starting with Facebook stuff. Yeah. If there were a religion started in which the creator not only made one part of his religion that you had a strong antipathy for America, but also historically undermined American policy abroad and encouraged adherents to do the same, would it be constitutional for Trump or Congress to use this information when creating screening processes for immigration? You you, you look uh, consternated. Well, I, I just made up that word.
0: Yeah, I, I, th- I think this would have been better not commented on myself, but uh, – mm-hmm. But it is feedback we received. You got a cough drop there. I did put in a cough drop. I have to because I, I, I'm coughing too much.
1: Yeah, I, I think this, uh, uh, this bit of feedback makes a mistake. And the mistake is to assume that there is one thing called undermining American policy, which assumes that there is an, a normative American policy and, uh, and there are views which, are, uh, which, which can't be advanced, right, which are somehow against that right? Rather than just part of the debate. And um, I think another mistake it makes is um, to
0: evince a certain facile use of the term religion as if we know actually what that is or are prepared to delve into the doctrinal contours of a particular religious faith. A great deal of the U.S. jurisprudence on this is precisely about avoiding inquiries of that
1: nature. Right. Right. Uh, so even if not could, making ecclesiastical judgments, right.
0: So even if you could say, to your first point, that there was something you were prepared to call a, a U.S. policy in some universal or overarching sense, yes. <clears throat> so that you could clearly determine whether some other item were in agreement with it or not in agreement with it. Uh, delving into a particular faith tradition's precepts to determine what they are for the purpose of comparing to see if there is consistency or not, U.S. courts have shown less than no interest, which is to say they've shown outright distaste for the notion that you would delve into the innards of various faith traditions to ferret out things you found disagreeable.
1: And, like, it's a very hypothetical question because, you know, the the actual target of of these bands was, was Islam and yeah. Islam espouses in general, nothing of the sort, uh, True. and unless you're going to engage in some kind of amateur theology and, you know, try to derive some, d- engage in exactly the kind of inquiry, which courts for very good reasons do not engage in right. and ignore what many practicing Muslims say, <laughs> say, Oh, you're tell, tell practicing Muslims that they are wrong about their own religion. is a weird right. thing. So uh, I would think the better approach,
0: <clears throat> if one were, trying to frame something constructive in response, the better approach would be if you're trying to help the executive, who did you ask about? The president and who else? Could they take it into not account? Congress. So I would advise uh, the executive and the Congress that if they're interested in um, promoting the notion that people who are not U.S. nationals who are visiting the United States not harm the United States, um, that they focus on evidence about individuals that they do or don't have an intention to harm the United States.
2: Uh,
1: I would just
0: make it evidence-based and
1: there you go. Yeah, I mean, I'm not thinking real hard about this right now about the the Muslim ban because, I mean, it's also patently ridiculous and this week has been... (laughs) You know, compounded crazy upon crazy, that thinking hard about like Trump's motives and whether to consider those. I'm like, I'm over this. <laughs> I'm yeah. totally freaking over this. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you know, it's, there's a comic book villain with bad motives in the White House. There's nothing to, you know, what else are you going to do? I don't even want to talk. I, like, I can't think rationally about it right now, I guess is what I'm saying. Oh, okay. <sighs> I'm breathing. I'm trying to follow my, I'm going to do my juice cleanse after this. Nice. (laughs) Do you believe in those juice cleanses? No. No, of course not. All right. Um, uh, Of course, neither do I. But, you know, people like what they like, right, Joe? I suppose, yeah. Do you want to talk more about this?
0: No, not about this particular item, no.
1: Um, Listener James. Listener James has worked his way through. We got this email from Listener James. Yeah. Worked his way through, heard about us from a friend Mm. and said, you know, I'll check that out. Listen to us. And then went back in, in, I say, Christian Turner style and said, I need to listen from the beginning and has worked his way up from episode zero. Yeah. I recommend this to all listeners.
0: A completist (laughs) of the purest variety,
1: a chrono completist. (laughs) You wouldn't do this though, would you, Joe? No. I have in my notes, do this exclamation point. Everyone should do this, I think. He says, one motif I've enjoyed, which is perhaps worthy of an episode one day, is liability of government officials for civil rights violations, particularly outside the context of policing and criminal prosecution. He gives the example of the uh, case against Kim Davis, the, um, uh, um, Kentucky, is she, uh, county clerk? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's county clerk, um, for not, um, for not, uh, giving wedding licenses to yep. gays after the ruling. And, uh, and then, and then the um, number of lower court judges, especially who are questioning qualified immunity. And so he shows about that. And, and he says, look, I've not made it. I'm not current. Like he's, you know, it takes a while to go from episode zero to now. So he's, yeah. he doesn't know if we've said a lot about this since then. And I don't remember if we've talked about, maybe we have. I think we've
0: made glancing, glancing blows <laughs> at this in various ways, um, including the qualified immunity concept. But you're right. It would be a great episode. I think he's absolutely right. That would be a really great episode.
1: And he says he has a nice note for you, Joe. P.S. Joe, I I found really moving your thoughts in the wake of the Orlando shooting. Um, With notable exceptions like Kenji Yoshino's covering, I think law professors, judges, etc. can underestimate just how meaningful it is for young lawyers to hear their role models voice their personal frustrations and disappointments Hmm. in the law. Cool. For understandable reasons, we try to conduct our profession in a distanced and impersonal way, but even as we study or argue from a professional distance, we're inescapably having a deeply personal experience of the law as its subjects, too. It can be so easy to lose sight of that. But that was really beautiful. Yeah. And and I think quite rightly, Laud's, Joe's contribution to that episode.
0: Mm. I went back and listened to that episode, actually. Did you? What did you think? This was our conversation about
1: uh, gunmaker liability. Mm-hmm. Uh, Do we have one before that? I, I was a little confused because I wasn't sure if we had one right after Orlando and we did something else. Or the gunmaker
0: this... liability when, was the one where Orlando came up. Yeah. In fact, I think that was a big part of the. Of that was a reason. Yeah. Yeah, a reason for talking about the topic in general. Yeah, that was a that was a difficult week. It was, but it was a, that was a good subject. Yeah. The the gun liability gunmaker liability issue. I think I listening to it again. The idea strikes me as more and more persuasive.
1: We have got to write that one up. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah, it's a, it's I I still think it's the right answer. Or at least a way forward. Yeah. Uh so we'll we'll link up that episode in the show as well. If you haven't heard it, um I'd love to hear what people think about that. I'd love to get more feedback on on the details of that, especially from tort people. <clears throat> yeah, even though it's not these the suggestion is not a pure tort <laughs> suggestion, but it is it uses tort ideas. Okay, so episode 131. This is our episode with Anthony Christ uh, because of sex. This is the uh, show that we had in the wake of of the Seventh Circuit's decision to treat um, uh, discrimination against gays as a form of sex discrimination banned by Title VII.
0: And I think the, it was just yesterday, I think the administration filed a brief in a Second Circuit case raising this same issue <clears throat> or focused on the same issue.
1: Oh, and I, guess, taking guess, the opposite view. I was going to say, guess, guess what position they took. Yeah, yeah. Just doing a little breathing over here, Joe. Okay, just doing a little breathing. I'm ha- I'm finding it difficult to breathe for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, should I leave in all those coughs? Hmm? We we're, we're not in our professional studio. We are in World Headquarters right now. Yes, that's true. And we we don't have any cough buttons. We got no we got no gear like that.
0: Yeah. If you poke me, I will cough. So you can treat me my entire body as a cough button. No,
1: the cough button is the opposite of that. It's a little button you, you push and it mutes you. Hmm. So you can you Yeah, can, that I don't have. You can do all the snorting and coughing and other stuff you're yeah. doing and not be picked up by your mic. Wow. Too bad, but I don't have that. <laughs> Uh, listener Matthew on Twitter said that he thought that this episode with Anthony was his favorite since the Caroline Products episode, mm. which it was also, I, that was a really fun episode. That's one that sticks out in my mind as well. This is it was good. one of the two episodes because you didn't follow the rules, Joe. What? What About what your favorite case was. You remember uh, this is what? what's our favorite case and I think Yeah, I but did. what do you mean I didn't follow the rules? Well, because you had two. You had Caroline Products and you had um, uh, um, uh, Erie. I think you didn't follow the rules by suggesting that I could only pick one. Because
0: that's just the rule—is fairness.
1: Um, you can't fairly the,
0: ask me to pick only one. The word it's not is fair. The
1: word is favorite. Hmm. And and and, and the noun was case. Yeah, and that <clears throat> I think
0: the only fair reading of that is that there would be one in each important genre of case.
1: The truth, though, is that you know, if you would pick three people, you know, we would have gotten like listener Matthew loved that episode. We'd have had yeah, people who said, "Yeah, that's great. That's just more stuff to talk about." Yeah,
0: there you go. That what the discussion with Anthony <clears throat> was really great. As I say, there was that brief filed yesterday. There's also the <clears throat> another thing we talked about with Anthony did relate to tran- the transgender issues. I think we, that came up in that episode a bit. Yeah, um, and of course that's also in the news because of the punch in the face of <laughs> common sense and good reason.
1: Uh, just, that trying the to get, just trying to get. President delivered yesterday. I'm just trying to get through this mailbag, Joe. Just trying to get through this mailbag <laughs> without without thinking <clears throat> thoughts, which debilitate me for the rest of the day. Okay. Um, which means thinking back on on good conversations that we had. Fair um, enough. And thinking forward to all of the, the sniffs I'll let be editing out. Right. Uh, <laughs> good times, right? Oh, yeah. So one bit of feedback we got was uh, with uh, listener Spencer... Uh, and 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 we had a back and forth on Facebook, so if you haven 't been on Facebook and can go and you can see this back and forth and and um, Nicholas George has made
0: a number of good observations on facebook in, as well yeah.
1: so yeah I'm gonna get, yeah it 's a good that this is a show which for for whatever reason uh drove both of them to to get in touch with us. but um so Spencer and I had a back and forth on there about the the use of the um, hypothetical that I had about like a, uh, whether, whether there was a, a sex discrimination problem with telling women they had to wear tops if they were a lifeguard. And, Ooh, and, and, right, right. And and I just set it up in order to explain why, but for was maybe not adequate, you know, why you had to have this kind of more culturally bound understanding. Or had some
0: unstated assumptions built into it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So, so we clear, if you want to see that go on, um go online and Spencer and I went back and forth on that a little bit. Nicholas Georgiakopoulos made three comments. One, the attempt to use but for causation was nicely shown to be doomed. An an additional example, besides the female lifeguard seeking not to wear a top, a male lifeguard seeking to wear a bikini bottom designed for a woman that frequently fails, uh, well, I'll just say in its purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Social context clearly matters. Um, And then he says, that he goes into the category everyone ignores being, he says, high libido persons, uh, and especially men. Um, He says... Should I read the whole thing? He says, suppose someone is discriminated against because they're promiscuous or a member of the kinky community generally or some subgroup thereof of a swingers group. They don't do anything inappropriate at their place of employment, but don't hide their outside activities. Yet at, pre- at uh, present more, such individuals must keep their sexual proclivities more carefully hidden than LGBT individuals. From a res- perspective of maximizing social welfare, that's clearly suboptimal since these groups are likely a greater fraction of the population. thinking in terms of efficiency and optimality. Uh, thoughts Joe I think
0: there are a number of empirical assertions rushing by in there that I'm not sure I
1: either understand or if I do that I agree with them hey, he gives a citation I'm not so you can go to Facebook and see the citation to the literature about proclivities he links to a paper
0: okay and that paper indicates that highly libidinous people who are more promiscuous outnumber gay and lesbian people
1: I'm not quite sure what the yes Ah. I mean, it's basically 50% of those surveyed have certain kinds of fantasies.
0: Ah, this seems to me entirely different from the question w- whether one is acting on them. He talked about not describing things that you do outside the workplace. Right. F- Where do, I would think, would mean something more than have a certain thought. Yeah, I think these are... Yeah, I find I, it all I, quite yeah. difficult to parse, to be honest.
1: Well, it's, I, th- I think the implication is there's kind of a don't ask, don't tell... Policy in place for, you know, what you might describe as kink, and something which might be more protective for LGBTs if if, if the kind of Posner Seventh Circuit position prevails.
0: Yeah, I'm just not sure what to do with this. What what's the point that saying that the prohibition on sex discrimination is also a prohibition on sexual orientation discrimination is suboptimal because it leaves unprotected from this sort of invidious discrimination framework those who are not gay but who routinely have thoughts about or actually engage
1: in multi-partner behavior or or single partner behavior which you would describe as as kinky or or even deviant like you can if you use the word deviant in a non-pejorative sense right right what he's saying is that there's a lot of kind of sexual deviance which goes unprotected.
0: Well, I suppose that's true, and of course, the, there being gay or lesbian is itself, in the view of some, sexual deviancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, if all you mean by deviance in an authoritarian sense yeah. is that it's less than the numerical majority behavior, right? Then, uh, sure. If if the purpose of the prohibition on workplace discrimination is framed as, you know, departure from gender norms and that we don't want people being adversely treated in their employment based on the degree to which they do or don't conform to a gender norm or a gender stereotype, then I suppose being sexually active to some degree uh, actually could be mapped into that conversation. For example, if a particular workplace thought that men should be sexually active to a certain degree with multiple partners in a way that women shouldn't be. You could say, oh, that's not, it wasn't about men versus women. It was just about the number of partners. Like, yeah, but you seem to have a different view about which people should have how many partners, right? Um, so I, I suppose you could map it into that framework,
1: at least to some degree. The very next comment is also from Nicholas. Mm. It's on episode 132, The Soul of Music. <clears throat> mm. uh, fun episode, no? Yes, with Joe Fishman. He says, and this is this is short, he says, I don't know if, how I could prove this, but my hunch is that IPs incentives are important, not so much for the creators. Artists and inventors have a bug and would tend to create regardless. This is kind of the point that we made. That people don't just, you know, right. the quid pro quo is not, you know, <laughs> the only thing driving people to create. He says, Um, the, but, uh, for their, but for their support, the agents and producers and executives uh, that surround them who only work in the field because it pays just a hunch. If so, then as, then as music and book reproduction technology improves, perhaps IP should weaken.
0: That is a very, uh, popular idea among lots of IP scholars. Is it? Yeah. Yes. That the incentive framework is for dissemination Mm -hmm. or in the context of patent law for commercialization of various inventions. With copyright in particular, yes, the point has been made by many that if protecting means of dissemination is the goal, then as uh, the widely available cheap internet technology and computing technology is, becomes increasingly democratized, uh, so distribution becomes much cheaper, right? It's easier to produce and distribute music globally now than it's ever been. Well, that means there's less need for that incentive. Now, of course, there's infringement's also easier, so the, the rejoinder by the people to whom you've just said, ah, distribution so much easier is, yeah, but so is infringement. Yikes.
1: I think it's worth pulling apart two different kinds of um, uh, support. One, as you say, is the encouragement to disseminate. This is like you want to give the uh, monopoly right so that people will say, hey, let's produce an edition of this or let's make sure let's advertise this. Let's get it out far and wide. and And that's what spreads ideas because you can't just have, you know, you can't Leave a, a work in a in a locked safe and and expect people to get anything out of it, right? So if you want to achieve the promotion of the progress of the yeah. arts and sciences, you gotta you gotta disseminate. And if you think that it, that any success in
0: distribution will be imitated so promptly and so effectively um, that it will f- be a form of of market destructive competition. Uh, so that people won't bother. Say, well, if I disseminate and it's successful, it'll you know I'll be confronting competitors long before I recoup my
1: costs. And so, so no one bothers. And it's no a tragedy of the commons slash prisoner's dilemma situation. But another sense I think of support here <clears throat> is that some kinds of IP or something and I hate calling it IP because it's not that, but some kinds, some instances of creation are expensive in their making. So it's not about dissemination; it's about you know, if you want to make a new piece of music, you need a recording room, you need microphones, you need people who can do mastering, you need engineers. Now, all of those things are also becoming cheaper for many art forms, maybe not all. Like, you know, it's it's probably much cheaper to make your own music now than it is still to make a movie, even though it's cheaper to make a movie than it ever has been. Right. But nonetheless, I think it's maybe worth distinguishing those two kinds of support. And I took Nicholas's comment to be aimed not just at the at, at encouraging disseminators of works already produced, but also encouraging all of the other people who have inputs. Like, so, you know, maybe someone doesn't get the bug, uh, to, as Nicholas puts it, maybe I get a bug to write music. Like I just can't help but write music or I can't help but write, you know, blog posts or stories or whatever. Um, but, but maybe fewer people say, I really have a bug to go to a studio and master someone else's music, or I really have a bug to, um, uh, to, to build, uh, recording facilities or to, Um, to to clean floors at a recording facility or, you know, all of the different inputs into a creative work are not just the creation itself, but the the people who create the facilities for creation. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And I guess the idea here is that without that monopoly support, then the creator couldn't afford basically to pay all of those other people. It's ironic
0: that Nicholas is raising an intellectual property law issue because he elsewhere slags us for having too many IP episodes. But.
1: <laughs> Maybe this was early in the IP run. Before he'd gotten fed up, up to the neck. Yeah, he did comment on Facebook. He says, you know, enough. You know, it's, this is worse than the federal, <laughs> worse than, or I'm begging for federal courts at this point.
0: Yes, very funny. <clears throat> we love federal courts.
1: Um, but what, this is as good a place as any to interject in terms of Facebook that he also posted on our Facebook wall, and he says, you know, Wanted to take advantage of our generosity, I think he said, but he has a new book, The Logic of Securities Law. Did mm. you see that? Um, I don't
0: think I did see yeah, that.
1: Yeah. So he posted that on our Facebook wall. Anybody who wants to, you know, if you're an academic or whatever, and you you can always post stuff on our wall, it's fine. Sure, sure. That'd be great. Bring our attention to stuff. Um, yeah. Episode 133. This is our episode on boilerplate. Mm. Too many darn radio, radio, I was going to say radio head buttons. You see, you see what my mind is doing, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Um, With Jim Gibson. Yeah. Ex- exactly. We've got some feedback from listener Russell, suggesting that to go along with this, we should definitely watch season four, episode two of Silicon Valley. Mm. I think the show is named Terms of Service.
0: The HBO show.
1: He says, and if you don't watch Silicon Valley, you're missing a, uh, an hilarious show that has already explored a number of interesting legal topics, including the need to run trademark checks before picking your company name, the enforceability of covenants not to compete, arbitration and now, not much spoiler, contractual terms of service. Wow. Do you watch Silicon Valley? I don't. I, I, I think I've seen maybe one episode, but I, I don't regularly watch Just cause, you know, uh, Meredith, my wife, has watched. Oh, cool. But I just, you know, I, I haven't gotten around to it. And there are so many good pieces of art There's that too I've much. not consumed. We're living in a golden age of television. Yeah, so. gold, golden age of a lot of stuff. Golden age of podcasts.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: That's another question I got. You know, I'm going to put that one off for today, by the way. Which one? The question of what podcast should I listen to. Oh, okay. That cool. was one that came in over Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm still like turning that over in my mind.
0: Mm. All right.
1: <clears throat> yeah you mentioned that last time yeah next next week i think but we'll, we'll talk about that in a moment let's let's put a pen in that as they say let's put that in the parking pin lot has been put. put that in the parking lot right is that what they say uh keep up the good work and thanks for the recommendation a while back of first mondays i hadn't listened until recently but i'm now binging to catch up on ot 2016 it's a great That's show also from listen to russell yeah you definitely should subscribe uh, subscribe to that one i love the idea of people binging to these things yeah. This is our second binger in the mailbag episode today, isn't it?
0: Just don't binge drink. That's the one thing we would suggest.
1: <laughs> or binge hash use, I guess, would be It's equally. like a da da the more you know. Right. Uh, listener Chris thought this article might be of interest to both of you and potentially of interest to the show as well, given its relevance to data and regulating competition. This is an article from The Economist. The gist is that current antitrust laws were designed in the context of industries focused on tangible commodities like oil and steel, and that such laws might be ill-fitted for an economy in which the most valuable commodity is an intangible, non-rivalrous good like data. Yep. Uh, I, I just I, so I looked at this article. Did you get a chance to take a look at this? One? I did. This is a long time ago that I looked at. It, it said, but... the case for being sanguine. This is from the article. The case for being sanguine about competition in the tech industry rests on the potential for incumbents to be blindsided by a startup in a garage or an unexpected technological shift. Right. This is why we should. This is the argument that we shouldn't be so worried about very powerful tech companies because right. the next big powerful tech company will unseat them and they are. Right now, just two, two people in a garage working on something, right? And, and so there's a, a fast turnover of incumbents. But he says, but both are less likely in the data age. The giant surveillance systems span the entire economy. Google can see what people search for, Facebook what they share, Amazon what they buy. They own app stores and operating systems and rent out computing power to startups. They have a God's eye view of activities in their own markets and beyond. They can see when a new product or service gains traction, allowing them to copy it or simply buy the upstart before it becomes too great a threat. So has the tech industry fundamentally changed since the era of garage upstarts so that maybe we need to think differently about competition policy?
0: I mean, I think it is a fair point that, as we talked about with Stacey Dogan, that some of the change in the market can be fairly described as simply a provider trying to incorporate a new functionality in their system. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so if... You know, Facebook buys a company that might have displaced it, a social network that was focused on video clips. And it could say, well, we're just incorporating video clip technology as a functionality in the platform we already had, right? So it's not, so you have to analyze this from an antitrust perspective as a design choice about incorporating a new facet of our product. And right. that, as we talked about with Stacey, antitrust courts have found that to be quite challenging. Uh, I think that, so that observation, I think is a, is gesturing at that set of issues. And I think that's a fair point, but I would have thought that the, the more important difference is with respect to the network character of these things itself, that, that, you know, uh, the degree to which a new product or service, uh, has network effects that, uh, make it more valuable as more people adopt it, network effects that in that way protect it from something that's quite a bit better, in fact, but doesn't have the user base and so isn't tapping into that value of a network as a network, but that distinguishes the current environment from the world of, you know, commodity sugar or milk or steel or you know, if you go back and look at what the, what the antitrust cases were about a hundred years ago, right. It's, it was those sorts of products. They're not network products or services. Right. right. Uh, and, and now they are, I mean, the, in the information economy, the, the really high value stuff is virtually all network stuff. Mm-hmm. Of course the Microsoft case itself, right. It, you know, I software, was going to ask you about that one. Yeah,
1: hmm? I, that that seemed to be uh, seemed to presage right this this issue, this problem of the fact that that tech products really are better tied and bundled sometimes, but it can be difficult to well, it, disentangle. Right, it, right it, yeah. it
0: shows both the incorporating new features thing by like adding a browser to this or that. Right, you know, to an operating system. To be clear, though, that was Internet Explorer was terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> so, it also shows the problem of. Uh, networks, because there you have, or or what I guess as a technical matter has a slightly different meaning, but there are some similarities, uh, two-sided markets. They're selling an operating system. So people who want to buy an operating system are concerned about whether there will be a sufficient number of applications written for it that run on it. And of course, application developers are also concerned when they're trying to figure out who to develop for, that there'll be enough buyers of the operating system so that they're Applications would be successful commercial ventures. So you sort of the um, you've got the developer side and you've got the retail customer side, and Microsoft is in the middle, right? And it's trying to manage this both sides of this process to attract as many people as possible. So it's another flavor of uh, of a network sticky network issue.
1: Yeah, I mean in that particular case, they were trying to drive Netscape out of business.
0: Yeah, I mean that's. Yes, that was the, why they were doing what they were doing with the browser and with Java incompatibilities and the like. But The Economist article, by saying, hey, you know, the tech bros are telling you that the reason you don't need to worry about antitrust anymore is because uh, anybody in their garage could do X. Right. right? Um, eh, not really. Not really. Because anyone in their garage isn't going to be able to instantly have a user base of a few million people. Right. Right. But they might be able to write a piece of software that
1: if a million people were using it, they would all be happier than the thing they're using right now. But of course, that's precisely the point. Not to mention other, other you know, well-known tech companies that have substantial infrastructure behind them. Like you and I, Joe, are not going to launch a new website called Euphrates today that sells every product. And suddenly compete with another well-known river named company, (laughs) right? Right. I mean, so uh, just because you slap tech onto something doesn't mean that there isn't a more, a slightly more traditional business behind it that, you know, where where the the tech and the, and the, is just one piece of the, uh, of what affects the competitive landscape. Yes. Right. I mean, the way that Amazon sells was disruptive of many physically located stores, right? Uh, physically based stores right and you know but that's not the only you know they they did a bunch of other stuff about warehouses and how you find things and how quickly you get them out and then you know the way that you structure your business to have to you know to to basically to lose money in order to gain share i mean a lot of these things are shared by other industries
0: yeah that's true that's true um but i guess my only point was a somewhat different one and, and would apply to Amazon even before it became as good as it has, I think has become at the sort of logistics and warehousing and delivery stuff coordination that you just described. Cause I think Amazon has demonstrated that it is pretty effective at doing those things mm-hmm. is even before that, right. It had as it was sort of gearing up and improving on all those things, it it had a lot of customers, who were were regular Amazon users, and so anytime you, Amazon is trying to attract other people to sell through Amazon or use Amazon in some fashion that would get to those people right it's managing the two sides of and that in that sense is a stickier platform technology and Chris is right that to point out <clears throat> that you know antitrust tools and antitrust doctrines that developed for a different era work you know, not as well in some respects. I think that's fair. Uh, but figuring out just what makes it less workable,
1: uh, I don't think that economist thing nail, quite nailed it. Listener Caitlin says please do a follow up on this episode with Fire Festival as a case study. Do you remember the Fire Festival, Joe? I do. That was basically a case of consumer fraud, though, wasn't it? Really? Uh, I was, it was a case of, I don't know what the contractual element, I don't know what people, when they bought their tickets or they, I don't know what they were promised. I don't know what was in the contract. I don't know what remedies they thought they were waiving and how this works out. But this is, it's a case of fraud, right? Which is a little different than how you interpret boilerplate terms that no one has ever read. Mm. Right. Okay. Did you? Buy tickets for that festival, Joe. Were I do not. You, were you down I, there?
0: I do not attend music festivals, uh, and and <clears throat> having Jaw Rule associated with it, it <laughs> wouldn't make it any more attractive to me as a potential. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, it's just sort of not my thing. It's to not your go thing. To a Caribbean islands music festival. well
1: Because that is what kind of what I had in mind for Oral ArgCon when we finally <clears throat> do Ooh, it. We're
0: going to need to rethink that.
1: I'm just think of a Caribbean thing. It's going to involve tents. Nah. Nope. Um, sandwiches with a lettuce. I did. Did you see those pictures of the sandwiches there at the fire festival?
0: <laughs> I didn't. I did. I did have. A, right after college, I had. A, I did have a lovely uh, vacation in Barbados, which I, which is equatorial rather than uh,
1: sort of near Caribbean. But I digress. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you think? You think you digress? Well. Well, you know your festival has not been successful when you have created a refugee crisis. Yeah, that's a, that's a real leading indicator of failure. <laughs> uh, so maybe, may, I don't know, who knows what kind of fallout there's going to be from this? Who knows? So, so that could easily be. Uh, you know, we got more feedback from, from both Nicholas and Spencer on this show. On Facebook, Nicholas and Spencer were there were a couple of episodes there where they were both going at it on on, on Facebook, Facebook on yeah, Facebook. Yeah, they were kind and, of going at hammer And Facebook and top. allows the comments to be a little longer than on than on Twitter, so yeah. they're a little harder to wrangle. Uh, Nicholas made three different comments. I'm going to highlight. Well, I'm going to highlight two. One one is just <laughs> this the, was all about the boilerplate, the anti class action part, right? About mm, yeah. Um, where he says maybe the legal support of arbitration is the reaction to the imperfections of class actions. The game is played on an entire board. Improvement of class action law need not exclusively come from laws headed, quote, class action reform. I'm not saying I like it here in it's unconscionable arbitration clauses or the pro-business bias that arbitrators may have or 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 our inability to audit that.
0: Yeah, I remember reading that comment and thinking, yeah, that's you're right. The uh, To the degree that <clears throat> you have a critique of class actions and you think, Arbitration might be a way to avoid some of the bad things of class actions without
1: going back to traditional civil litigation. Except that arbitration is a backdoor to eliminating class actions these days. Well, right. This, as I say, if yeah. you have a, if you have a critique of class actions, so that you think they that there are yeah, it just depends on the nature of the cre- c- critique. It's what I am saying. Like, so if it's yeah. it, you know, because you could ha- you could imagine, yeah, you can arbitrate it, but it's still going to be a class action. It'll be an arbitral class action, right? You, oh, that's true too. Are it you mean, objecting to the class action part of it, or the arbitration part of arbitration it? Absolutely, use arbitration
0: mechanisms to achieve class action, but that's not what thing. they
1: do because you couldn't you true. couldn't have people waive class actions if they weren't arbitrating. But the combination of the two, anyway, it's a real
0: um, no the the way the the way the arbitration so I suppose there's a story to try to tell about the fact that, you know, this is the, the tendency of arbitration to avoid things like class actions is a, is a reflection of the preferences of people engaged in that form of private ordering. That if someone thought there was, there was uh, hay to be made by competing against someone else on the ground that, well, their arbitration clause forbids class actions, mine doesn't. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, they could do that, I think, right? The, the way arbitration works is these are ostensibly privately created mechanisms. So if uh, so a, a firm that was having a bunch of consumers sign consumer contracts with arbitration clauses in them, that clause could say, our arbitration mechanism is perfectly happy to have you join forces with other people who have signed this contract to have a common arbitration that covers all of you at one time.
1: Shockingly, they tend not to do that.
0: Well, but uh, what I'm—I wasn't saying. I thought it was likely that firms would do this. I'm saying, but it is that—that it is a thing they could do if they thought there there was some advantage to be had <clears throat> by offering that possibility.
1: And they, and they don't appear to think that because those aren't available. I think also on this show we talked about the United Airlines case. Yeah, and, and we
0: got misunderstood because.
1: why do you say that someone
0: made a lengthy someone had a lengthy email comment about it or maybe it was on facebook but in that suggested to me they thought we misunderstood what was happening or that
1: well no listener philip got in touch to say because i think at that point i like i wasn't clear in my head because you know there was a lot of writing at that time about what the contract was you know so does the guy have a contractual claim that ua you you know or is it the way they implemented the contract so that maybe they, maybe they adhere to United Airlines adhere to the contract, but now they justifiably are taking a reputation hit on that, which is in line with like Posner and Bebchuk's um, uh, defense of uh, of adhesion contracts, which is that people won't you know enforce them in the worst possible ways because of the reputational hit. Like those markets work together. Uh, okay, all that aside. Um, uh, Philip just clarified, or set in, in points to this um, uh, post on uh, Michael Dorf's blog by um, uh, by David Olin uh, Jens David Olin, which is making the argument that, that United did not have a contractual right to remove the passenger, and it, it it comes down to whether the passenger was quote denied boarding, and here not, and it turns on the definition of boarding and other stuff. So there's a, there's because right, he con- had
0: already entered the plane. Yeah. If you define boarding as getting on the plane. He had already gotten on the plane.
1: Yeah. So there's a good argument that.
0: But I think that was clear by the time we had this conversation. I, at I least don't recall it was to me, but um, that's my record.
1: I don't recall, but I don't know if we made the argument or other people made the argument. Maybe lots of people made the argument that the airline should have to bargain in a free market for that seat. Yeah, a lot of people made that. A
0: lot of people were suggesting that in all of the conversations going back and forth about that.
1: And if they don't have a contractual right to deny boarding, then. They should have to, as with any other contract, negotiate to to get out of it.
0: Yeah. If airlines were, I mean, there are regulations about how much they can offer to pay someone mm-hmm. to give up their seat, Bro- broadly understood. I don't want to get into the minutiae about are they on the plane yet, are they not on the plane yet, but uh, <clears throat> my re- now this is my somewhat dim recollection, but my, my recollection is that there is a cap on what airlines are permitted to offer to pay, I think United had not gotten near that cap right. with this particular passenger. Right. Putting that to the side, uh, it seemed to me when I saw that number of the cap, and I don't recall what it was, but it seemed to me to be low, not particularly high. It was low, yeah. Yeah, so that, you know, I'd want to hear more about why the cap is set where it is. Is there a way that it could be elevated substantially? And... Why you wouldn't simply say to airlines, look, sell as many tickets to a given plane as you want. That's fine. And hold an auction to buy back whatever seats you need. That's fine too, right? Um, It's easier than ever to do this kind of stuff uh, with the computing technology and with interfaces being what they are. Uh, It's crazy how interference... But for Pete's sake, let's not have, you know, peace officers going onto airplanes and beating passengers and dragging them away. I mean, I that's just i just, just going to interject.
1: It's crazy how mm. interference with the free market is uh, obviously and totally justified any time it benefits a, uh, a a concentrated power seeking to deny diffuse benefits. <laughs> right. I mean, all right. I've got no energy right now, Joe. Can you tell? I can tell slapping myself awake yeah i see that you know one other thing nicholas said about this no uh episode i don't know how it came up i guess it must have come up here i don't know about people listening at more than 1x this is the old 1x 2x debate show nicholas the the perennial and do you know that after we had this debate on overcast at least you can now go up to 3x whoa have you tried that have you tried 3x of course not I'm still alive, aren't I? There's M- some I? there's some podcasts I go up to two and a half x on. That is just crazy. But I, I I started listening to the audiobook of Gravity's Rainbow the other day. Ooh, the Pinchon novel. Yeah, and 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 I I I can't really go above one and a quarter x on that. Mm. And I don't know if it's because of you know Audible Audible's you know listening um, uh, algorithm is not as good as as what. Oh. Marco Armit has in in Overcast, or if it's just the content or both or whatever. But yeah, so there's some things, you know, many podcasts, I'm up to like two and a half X, but but not 3X. I don't think I've made the 3X jump.
0: That is, well, I hope that you do not depart this plane of existence when you make that jump. Uh, if you decide to try, I am um, just alarmed at the very <laughs>
1: prospect. Uh, and not because you're a purist, not because you demand pristine audio quality that only 1X without smart speed can deliver. No, because I
0: use smart speed and I go a tick or two above 1X right. uh, plus smart speed. It's because of the panic attack that is <laughs> induced if I go any higher.
1: I can't listen to my own show at anything less than 2X. Okay. Well, Nicholas says, I listen to episodes again. Again. He listens, Assuredly, not the show. It can't be that he listens to the yeah. show more than once. I
0: feel like, I suddenly feel as if it's very foolish that we didn't have Nicholas as our guest this week.
1: Ooh, that would have been, Yeah, would have been but great. But I sort of
0: feel almost as if we are having him as our guest. We're
1: just not letting him <laughs> well, say he, anything. Well, he's a little early in the mail. But anyway, so I <sighs> suppose that listening to this episode twice may be similar to listening it to listening at 0.5x, but not really, since there is all that additional percolation of thought that comes between the two 1x listenings. Right. So two 1x listenings, even though it takes the same amount of time as as 1.5x listening, oh, if, you totally, don't, if you don't turn on smart speed. It's totally that, different. Totally different.
0: Because you you have to think between, this is a critique I have heard some cultural critics make of the tendency to binge watch TV shows. mm That in days of yore, when an episode would come out once a week. Yeah. And then there would be a pause of some months between seasons. That, you know, life happened. Stuff happened to you in between watching the different episodes and seeing the different seasons. And that meant the show was experienced with a kind of richer context, because it's dip you're dipping into it in with lots of life in between the little dips.
1: Yeah, but kind of the, the critical take is that the fact of that delivery changed what the show delivered. So well, now right, each it, episode is like, you know, it ends with you can't be, you just wait to what happens next. You, of course. you can't even predict what's gonna happen next. Oh yes. my god, you don't wanna miss what's gonna happen of, next. Of, right. And then it start every every show starts with you remember what happened last time? Let me count the ways of all the things that happened last time, and you know, and people restating so, yeah, their motivations. The, the and,
0: fact that the fact that uh, delivery mechanisms have changed uh, reached back
1: into change content, of course. So, you, what is your judgment on binge watching? Is it is it the same? I, let me well, let me let me predict here. Well, you you think it's obviously not the same. Oh, it's not the same. But but is it what's better? We need to make a judgment here. I think it is better to let,
0: I, I think it, it's net better that viewers have the option to decide how much of it they want to consume at a given time.
1: Hmm. No, I, but <laughs> that, people, is, that is a milk toast answer, Joe. I'm asking, toast. I'm asking, what is Joe's judgment about the proper way to watch
0: a series? The okay, Depends that's what I thought
1: you would say. Give me an example of a show that should be binge-watched. And give me an example of a show which should not be binge-watched. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt should be binge-watched. Binge, binge watched? away. Oh, okay. Hilarious.
0: Yeah. Right? Why stop laughing now? Keep on laughing, right? <laughs> Just keep watching more until uh-huh. you fall asleep yeah. drooling at your keyboard. You're watching it on your
1: laptop. What shouldn't be binge-watched? Yeah. No binge-watching here. What? What is that? What's what's in that category?
0: You know, uh, I would say things that are scary or suspenseful. Hmm. Um. I I wouldn't binge watch those because I can you give me an example
1: of one. What's what's scary? What's scary to Joe?
0: <laughs> well, actually, <clears throat> I don't watch any shows that that I'm that I would describe as scary. I just don't watch them because hmm. uh, I don't enjoy that.
1: Uh, like those like American horror story shows. Are we talking about yeah, like traditional I don't watch scary that. stuff? Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: now, Walking Dead is something that it, it. I mean, there are scary moments, but it's not frightening in the in a profound way. It's gross. It has, like, there yeah. are zombies and whatnot.
1: They don't call them zombies, though. It's <coughs> one of those zombie Walkers. shows where, like, no one, un- no one seems to use the word zombie. Right. Um, it, everything else is, is like our world. That I would not watch. Except they've never seen any zombie shows. <laughs> <laughs> is that right? I wouldn't binge watch Breaking Bad. I wouldn't binge watch uh,
0: Walking Dead. Hmm. Uh, no. you got to have life in between that stuff.
1: Listener Asher uh, has, a, has a, some many, many thoughts about, um, the major questions, exceptions to Chevron, right? Mm. This is, and there's a DC circuit opinion that he writes, and I'm going to include the link to his blog post. Yeah, which is great. Which goes into great detail about this. And he says he alludes to, uh, you Joe. It's a very Eerie. high
0: quality blo- blog post, except for the fact that it alludes to a point I made, but it it is an <laughs> excellent blog post.
1: The idea of the major questions doctrine that he gets into is this, uh, the, the one about, uh, the fact that 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 blah, 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 blah.
0: <laughs> you keep ruining it.
1: I know. I'm just it's, the, the old brain's like a sp- it's sputtering today. It's not on. It's not turned on. Anyway, great blog post. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. I've tried to explain the major questions doctrine like three times. And, you've had, and we're going to cut I them all out. I, well, I don't edit content on this show. I just don't. I You're going to have to edit that stuff out. I, I that got was terrible. It. Well, since I dropped the F-bomb. Yeah. <laughs> Probably will. Uh, so I, well, let's just leave people to the blog post, shall we? Yes, because it's really good. Listener Sean, law student, says that uh, he got a little break before his summer class starts up and not having any, any idea what to do with free time anymore. I was interested in checking out uh, my uh, this is Christian's course in a box that I've mentioned a few times. I, I, do I do too much self promotion? No, but I don't want to. I feel bad about what, it, but sometimes he it's asked relevant. How to get
0: to it, and then, but then he said in a later email that he got to yeah, it. Yeah, I just wanted.
1: I thought I'd just read the feedback because maybe other people have the same question. Well, now you really are just self promoting. Well, so I shouldn't read the listeners' feedback. No, you should. But he says, you know, well, let me let me promote the show. I started listening to oral argument when I started law school, and I've greatly enjoyed the shows. It also proved to be very, help, very helpful as it allowed me to start constructing a framework for understanding the law that was larger than any single course. So thanks for that. Very cool. I feel like because you're on this show, I can read stuff like that. Oh, okay. Neat. Because I just assume that it's like, you know, but for Joe, none of that would, none of that would happen. But for Joe, <laughs> another podcast is born.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, Someone yeah. else needs to do that one like they did um, Summary Judgment. But so for Joe, to self-promote, he's talking about the legal theory 101 podcast, which you were involved in one episode of this. Yeah, I yeah think so. this, is, this is the uh, my basically modern American legal theory class had made available, the syllabus and some some podcast <coughs> recordings. yeah and those are all on on my website. We've moved oral argument off of that website now, which makes it maybe a little bit harder to find, but it's uh, uh, at, at hydrotext.com. Mm-hmm. So uh, listener Philip, we talked about this already. Nope. Episode 135. Toward the end of this interesting episode, one of you, I believe it was Christian, but no matter, went on at some length about the word research or or research. Do you say research or research, Joe? I I think I mostly say research. Yeah, it kind of depends, right? You ever say research? Sure. I'm sure I have. Yeah. Uh, Making sort of a tentative argument about the word's meaning based on what he assumed to be the etymology of the re. Now, I gotta say, I remember saying this. This was a joke. <laughs> it, yeah, you said it, and you said it humorously. I, yeah, it's like I, I, this is like um, uh, I do this all the time. Although we did not know the real etymology either. No, he says. Well, the re in research, more more precisely in the French original, is not the re of going back. It's not because I made a joke about it, how it's to search again. Right. Like don't just search once, search again. Research.
0: And he's telling us that it means search intensely. It's right? an
1: old French intensive. You can find this uncontroversial point made in an. Etymological dictionary, or by Googling. That was a little passive aggressive, right? <laughs> let, me, let me get. No, I, it wasn't. I he, think it was aggressive aggressive. <laughs> I don't think it was passive aggressive. <laughs> uh, so, so it just means uh, searching closely, is just as one might expect, unless uh, misled by the little learning that Pope warned that Pope warned us about in the essay on criticism. So, uh, yeah. So, searching uh, closely to close the circle, since the episode was largely about the Google Books litigation, he's talking about there Alexandria. Um, mm, episode with James Grimmelman, on. episode 135. For another nice example of the intensive re, here's a link, per Google, to Ohio State University's copy of Crab's English Synonyms, Centennial mm. Edition, 1917. At page 228, noting the re and remedy is mm. the intensive re. Oh my. Which means, of course, to meddy closely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I, did, I did not look this up. I didn't, but it is the same intensive read. So this, uh, it is no surprise to me that we, that our listener, our listening audience is filled with people kind of like us, but, but, but pedants about different sorts of things and interested in the origins of words, interested in this, interested in that. Yeah. And fearless about digging in and fearless about communicating the fruits of those digs. There you go.
0: So come bring us your dig fruits. Um, oh, (laughs) you're just going to let that one go by? (laughs) dig fruit you're just gonna let that go i
1: i'm I'm not sharp today wow you're carrying this episode you're totally carrying this episode well all right here we go let's keep going i'm 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 an invalid i'm coughing out my lungs over here Yeah, you're the one who's actually yeah you've got an excuse hey i know what'll perk me up you want to talk about dr disrespect (laughs) (laughs) i'm about to uh,
0: fly into a paroxysm of coughing in rage uh, Were you mentioning that fetid? Ugh.
1: I love it. Th- I love it when you're so wrong about things. Um, it's, <laughs> it's such an ass. Fascinating. Fascinating to me. The things that you feel strongly but wrongly about. Mm, whatever. Listener Dennis. Yes. Mentioned not only that you liked episode 133, the boilerplate one, but yes. says on, on, on the James Groman episode, mm. one of the things we talked about more briefly was uh, um, James's idea for a property course. Uh huh. Right, and he has a totally different idea about how it should be taught than, right. than I think is typical. Right, and, and it's a very thoughtful explanation of that. And listener Dennis went and looked at the syllabus and, and noticed there was only one IP case, whereas in his class, which was six credit hours, they did three or four classes on IP. Wow. Um, and he's saying, well, you know, so what's the right answer? How you much? Do a few, right? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, depending on how much time I have. Uh, when, and, when it, and
0: your course is a four credit course, right now,
1: it's four credit. So I do a little bit less IP. I don't do I don't do secondary liability for copyright. And I used to do a little bit of that, which I thought had been instructed, but I, you know, I, I concentrate on copyright and fair use and in INS versus AP. So just some kind of exemplars of yeah. the idea more than more than going into substance. But, but, but Dennis asks, you know, what's the right answer? How much should we get in property? What do you think the right answer to that in first year property, this is not an i p survey class. you know this is assuming that a a law student must take property, I think at Yale that's not true, but at most law schools that's true. You must take property and you need not take i p survey
0: well look i I think it's important to be reasonably pragmatic about this, right so so i I would think you would want your answer to turn in part on um, the topics that are conventionally covered in the property segment of of state bar
1: exams yes
0: another uh, reason i mentioned that this as is you, bar exam as week. you scoff this is, and, is bar
1: exam week by the way congrats yeah. congrats to all the people who finished the bar exam <clears throat> absolutely okay get that out uh, of the way
0: as you scoff
1: i do scoff um
0: you know my sense is is property a multi-state topic i think yeah. it is yeah yeah um and and i think there might even be additional property in uh, topics covered in various state bar exams in their essay portions. Right. But I, but my impression is that uh, the multi-state property exam portions or, or questions, um, the bar exam winds up dwelling on a lot of stuff that takes a lot of time and is so complicated in, this, in the estates and land system that uh, there's a real fear about not teaching it. Yeah, uh, and th- the commitment to teach all that stuff leaves much less room for things like IP and other things it's that you might want to do. Yeah,
1: I got a friend in California who, who when we were talking about the property class recent, relatively recently, it was it struck me how 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 this person referred to the bar exam in terms of what should be covered and to what degree and what to test and how to test it to a greater degree than say I would, and I think a lot of that turns on bar passage rates in California versus bar passage rates for our students at our no school. No doubt. No doubt. Like, like I don't but, I don't not focus on it, but it is not my primary concern.
0: Yeah, and I, and I don't think it's I don't think it should be I don't think it's my primary concern either, uh, mm-hmm. nor do I think it should be. Uh, uh my point was simply that it it would be I think it would be foolish not to give any weight to it and and so a pragmatic approach would be to Look at it, think about how much uh, of the sorts of things that are likely to be on the bar exam, uh, estates and land, things that I think are a bit antiquated, frankly, Mm -hmm. uh, but seem very attractive to bar examiners. (laughs) Um, You know, the rule in Shelley's case and the rule against perpetuities and blah, blah, blah. Uh, And so, you know, make – so you have to make some hard choices as a property. And I have taught property law twice, not here at UGA, but – the school I used to teach at, uh, and enjoyed it thoroughly. But, but I minimized to the greatest degree I felt comfortable doing, um, that, that more sort of hyper traditional and frankly likely to be on more on the bar exam stuff.
1: There are many property topics on the bar exam and you really can't do them all well. And so everybody makes choices like I do estates and land. I don't do the rule against perpetuities other than to mention what it is and then I kind of tell them how to approach some low-hanging fruit on the rule against perpetuities and then say – and you know what else I do with the rule against perpetuities is I say, okay, so – I'm only going to teach you, I think, low-hanging fruit and kind of what it is, how to recognize it, and, and then so that when you do study for it, if you decide to study for it, it won't be the first time you're seeing it. Right. But I you know, I almost give them like a certificate saying, you can exchange this and I will teach you the rap. <laughs> I, I will teach it to you if you decide that you want to learn right. it at any point. Uh, you can come in and talk to me about it.
0: I think another interesting pragmatic consideration for that could affect what you teach in a property course at a, at any given school is thinking at that school, you know, how many people tend to take the trust and estates class? Yeah. Because if it's a lot of folks in your school tend to take that one after taking property, that, yeah. c- that could very
1: well influence what you cover and how you cover it uh,
0: in the property class.
1: Okay. And so obviously the right answer is we should get rid of the bar exam. Sure. Okay. I think we're agreed. I
0: mean, if we all do the Wisconsin approach, where if you graduate from an accredited school in in the state in which you'd like to practice, you're licensed to practice, that seems fair. Mm -hmm. I would totally support that.
1: Okay. So I think we have our answer. And then you
0: figure out some way to do either a reciprocity arrangement or an exam for people who move into the state from out of state.
1: Let me just grab this question again. If there were no bar exam, how much much IP in a, say, four-credit property class
0: Oh, I, I mean, I think you would do a chunk of it simply because it's such a, it's such a fun counterpoint to, to real property uh, along some really interesting dimensions. Yeah. Uh, you know, overuse versus underproduction risks uh, and the like.
1: Uh, yep. That you'd wind up doing some of it. Okay. And show idea from the listener, Dennis. How about getting non-legal ethicists to debate a, a suggestion of yours, Joe? which is the immorality of expedited review. Mm. This is where legal academics submit their articles. Almost all of the journals are student-run, and legal academics will submit their articles to many, 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 many (coughs) journals. And when they get an offer, they will contact the other journals, which they would rather publish in. So that you know, you get your list together and we'll say, hey, I've got an offer and it, ex- and it expires at such and such time. Will you hurry up and read my article and give me an answer? And you kind of play that game of expediting upward. This is the, so this is what expedited review is. And Joe, you wrote um, something very beautiful. It's a short, accessible piece about how this is immoral. And I think we disagreed a little bit about this.
0: Yeah. And that would be a friendly amendment to Dennis's suggestion, because I do think it would be fun to talk to an ethicist about about it, but I think it would be fun to talk to the ethicist about the way in which you and I disagree, which is, what does it make sense for an individual to do in a context where the equilibrium in the group is at a point that's sort of far away from what would be moral for individuals to do at the better equilibrium? Right. So it's about what? How do you how do you participate in a system, everyone in it describes as being. Kind of awful in some fairly straightforward ways but but that everyone also accepts as just the way it's done and, and
1: by everyone you're including the students in there I mean the students are aware of this system that's. And, and have well they're
0: aware th- of it and and they're and they feel quite denigrated by it i mean they feel quite demoralized by it we, bec- and i say that mm, only because of the number maybe. of published pieces where students describe how demoralizing yeah is. yeah there, there are some there's
1: a, there's a literature yeah, yeah. about yeah. the demoralization of law students yeah. written by law students it's interesting i don't want to get into it we're not going we could do the whole show we could redo this whole show and maybe do something new here because but the, 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 we have a lot of areas of agreement about this about the state of law review publishing, the a nature lot of of, a lot of areas of agreement. Oh, very much about the state of law review publishing and journals, yes. and and on our fiduciary uh, duties towards students, and you know, I think we, but, there's a lot of agreement here. So it, maybe that would be good to explore again in another episode. But,
0: but I like the idea of the of an ethicist yeah. who sort of has thought about morality issues where the individual's choices and the and the prevailing choice among the larger group are in a tension with each other mm-hmm. and the individual's trying to figure out what is it best to do what are they bound to do what are they free to do
1: etc cetera, etc cetera. listener adam on the Alexandria episode as well interesting ideas here you remember, you remember listener adam he sent us that delightful it's a for- basket of things it's a from- former student of yours right yeah well i don't want to say that yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah uh, in in, a, in another world and sent us a delightful basket of like coffee and coffee mugs and yeah. interesting snacks, and so um uh you know that's <laughs> we we can be bribed, right, Joe? Absolutely. I'm not sure what he got out of that deal, other than the the satisfaction of knowing that we enjoyed it very much.
0: Yeah. And I care enough about Adam to both thank him for those wonderful things and unflinchingly describe as boneheaded monkey ball crazy. <laughs> Some idea he had about what, like the Supreme Court it, not deciding stuff or no, something. No, like that? no, or no, no, no.
1: He, he said he he, he, he wanted Supreme you. To, court he wanted or? you to. I thought. I thought very thoughtfully, and you didn't. You didn't take this. Uh, you didn't take this up because you didn't um, want to treat this thoughtfully. Uh, what would law school be like without constitutional law? Is constitutional law misleading in a way? Was that really what he suggested? Yeah. It was, it was. It was. What would law school be like without con law? He was, this was, and he was not suggesting, he was not saying that there should be law school without constitutional law, but he's like, you know, thinking about the way in our show that we talked about con law issues versus other kinds of issues, he was just noticing there was this kind of divergence, you know, the, 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 the way you can get caught up in political battles that are, that have the, the language of law draped over them. Maybe there's a little bit of like Posner's idea about how the Supreme Court is not really a court, uh, there too. And he wasn't advocating any of those positions. He was just asking us to think about like, what would... What would law school without con law look like? Is it really such a different thing that maybe it's not, you know, one of these things is not like the other, I guess. And, and you, you could not do that, Joe. You could not take off your, your judgmental hat and just observe (laughs) that this is an interesting idea. Well, yeah. But that's not what this feedback's about. Right.
0: Uh, Thought experiments should still engage one in thinking.
1: Oh my God. I thought, I I think it's interesting. The question really is about the nature of constitutional law. What is the nature of the learning there, right? And it's not And by not that you're same.
0: referencing a sort of a traditional U.S. law school doctrinal yeah, yeah, yeah. course with the title...
1: Constitutional, constitutional law. Constitutional law. Yeah.
0: Because, of course, your, your legal, your theories of law and what comprises constitutional law, if you didn't have that at a law school, half of law school wouldn't happen. Right. So I, mean, I know you think it's a bad idea... On that understanding of con
1: law, right? I, I might, you know, I, I, I might be inclined to combining private and public constitutional law into one course. That, that's an interesting idea, too, now that you put it that way, which is private constitutional law being basically contract law and the uh-huh. law of other um, things. So anyway, there are lots of possible ideas here. I think the observation just is, hey, what, you know, um, constitutional law thinking and talk is a little is different than. These other kinds of law. And I don't know if this is true. I mean, whatever. But um, uh, and and so maybe there's a you know, maybe it's misleading in a way to students to think of, oh, well, I'm just going to do the tort law contract law thing. And but we're going to do over here and we're going to talk about equal protection and due process. And this is the same as thinking about causation and damage, but it's not the same kind of rhetoric or enterprise. Yeah, and that's this, that's the. You just imp-
0: reminded me of another thing I don't like about it, which this <laughs> this notion, um, which yeah. is it's a form of denying the New Deal, um, and I'm very suspicious of that. That sort of Why has you? a real right. edgy libertarian constitutional exile. I don't think he BS. intended.
1: I that's not. I don't think that's what he intended at all. But oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to cut this off because otherwise I'm going to. We're going to keep talking about this. <laughs> we can't have that. <laughs> and 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 since Adam's feedback had nothing to do with this, we are actually. We're, yeah, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. Don't worry. Don't worry. I feel like I'm starting to get going. The engine is sputtering. Well, I think it's going to kick gonna, on. I, we don't have unlimited time, dude. We have we have unlimited time. I've cleared the decks. We've got nothing to do today but this. Okay. That's how hot. nice for you. That's actually not true. Um, that does not describe me. Oh, I know. You're extremely busy. Uh-huh. I have
0: other things booked, dude. <laughs> actually booked. Yeah, you don't know. So just, you know, <laughs> step you need to, you step need to off, back <laughs> way back, way back.
1: Uh, You're really into territory you do not understand. Just, you know, when, I, when we arranged this recording today, your agent didn't mention anything about other bookings. So, yeah, I thought we had all day.
0: You know. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. You might want
1: to have a conversation with them, though. Maybe fire them.
0: No, no. It sounds like they're doing a good job. They're not giving you my entire calendar because uh,
1: it's none of your damn business. Uh, as a family, you know we share calendars. My family That's does delightful. And my mom, we share it with my mom too. Cool. Uh, it has some downsides though. Harlan and Ginger are fully aware of my calendar. I, I put I something share in. The, mine with my I put something in the calendar, and my mom will say, "Hey, what's this?" I'm like, "Oh boy, should have. I need to make. I <laughs> need to make a private calendar." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that gonna, or just add notes she's going to hear this she's going to ask me about it okay so, uh, so so Adam's comment on the Alexandria episode was books limited role on the web is the most disappointing consequence of the of the Google Books settlement or non-settlement right the co- of copyright in general right they're just not on the web right uh, yes Amazon listings are linked frequently book reviews exist too of course but book excerpts are often absent the omission may be a copyright issue or stem from the difficulty of citing to a digital book copy. Google promised a clear path to integrating books and the web. And that's a bad consequence of this settlement falling apart. And I, I as someone who prepares show notes, like, and, and if it's a book, I will maybe link to the Google Books page, sometimes the Amazon page. There's not a and sometimes I'll look for a book review just because so, I want my listeners who are more interested in the topic than just hearing the discussion that we have to be able to find, well, what's this thing about? Right. And with a book, it's like, you link to something you got to pay for, or maybe you link to something you won't be yeah, able to see for, elements even, of.
0: One, one, I will say one thing in, in the, the Amazon, a link to Amazon isn't, um, the worst thing in the world from the point of view of the books that at least have the look inside feature. Mm-hmm. Cause you can look at the table of contents. You can read the first few pages that, that does give you a flavor. Yeah. And you don't, that's
1: not, you're not required to pay to do that. Yeah. I just, I, I prefer if it's a PDF. I prefer it over a book. I feel like if I feel like sure. if you turn your idea into <sighs> a book, you're ensuring that far fewer people read it. In general, but maybe not. So, what
0: was Adam's observation?
1: It, there's, this, this is a downside. This is a downside it, of the of the Google Books totally. settlement falling apart. Is that there is this problem now of, yeah. of you know the books and the web are on se- separate tracks. I know, it's and that's a real problem. And I've just observed that in putting together show notes for our show. Yeah, he did. I say one more thing. P.S. Roosevelt Island has a cool pneumatic tube garbage disposal system.
0: That was neat. Was a Wired
1: article about that? Oh, wow. Uh, Listener Joyous. Hello. Sorry to bother you. I have something to talk about with you. Do you want a free costume or exchange video on your social media site? If you're interested in it, please reply this email. Huh. No. I think (laughs) is my answer to that. No. (laughs) I did not include all the spam emails, but I did include this one. I just wanted your thoughts. I don't know if we want to... I was going to email back. I didn't know if you had thoughts. Not beyond what I've already shared. Do you want free costume? <clears throat> no. Okay. All right. Are you a cosplayer, Joe? No. Okay. Uh, will there be cosplay at Oral Art I thought we already promised there would be. Yeah. I think if people want to do that, sure. I won't. But I think other people should feel free. Okay. Then we got this uh, email from listener Joel uh, in Australia. And, and one of the things he did was he attached an article that he'd written, which he said was kind of inspired by some of the conversations or at least parts of it, parts of the analysis were inspired by some of the things we talked about on the yeah. show. Very cool. And I'm going to, I'm going to link it up. It's on judicial deference to immigration decisions in Australia. Mm. And in particular, the, the, the use of, uh, of kind of structured methods for making psychological predictions about future dangerousness, for example, or future criminality versus kind of an all things considered analysis, right? And, mm-hmm. and how it, it's – I think it's really, really fascinating. I, I, I enjoy reading it. So I'm going to link it up for, for people to look at. Cool. He also uh, had a comment about our crossover episode. With First Mondays. With the First Mondays crew, I was struck by the discussion of the degree of control by the Supreme Court of its own docket and about the contribution of that to the politicization of the court. In Australia, there's a requirement for leave to appeal to the High Court, but a panel of two or more of the seven justices may grant leave. Additionally, our Judiciary Act provides for a, quote, justice of the High Court sitting alone, whether in court court or in chambers, uh, may state any case or reserve any question for the consideration of the full court. Uh, There are other ways the high court may come to hear a matter, but in short, it seems to me that the threshold for getting a matter before the full court is lower than it is for the grant of cert by the U.S. Supreme Court. It's interesting to think about whether this is a factor in the intense political debate in relation to any single appointment to the U.S. Supreme Court. A given appointment tips the balance in terms of the issues the court deals with as well as with the outcomes of its proceedings. Even more interestingly, as I understand the system in the U.K., leave to appeal to the Supreme Court may be granted either by the court itself or by the Court of Appeal. I don't know about the frequency with which the UK Court of Appeal grants leave, But I wonder again about whether this – how this arrangement helps uh, take the heat out of judicial appointments. And then there's just a little bit more. But that's I, – I, that was such a great discussion. W- was a discussion that kind of opened my eyes and other people's eyes to like the degrees of freedom that we have. And yeah. kind of sculpting the nature of the Supreme Court and how that 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 sculpting will feed back into the nature of the –
0: Now, it should be said, and I don't know if it was said explicitly in that episode, but it should be said that it takes fewer justices in the United States to grant review in a case than it does to decide the case, right? So cert is granted by four or more. Uh, But to decide the case takes a majority of whatever is hearing it. So if it's the full slate of nine as opposed to some subset because of a recusal, uh, it's five. Uh, Mm -hmm. So – uh, let, it takes fewer justices to get a case before the full court uh, than to decide the case once it's there. Uh, but, yeah, it's certainly not two, right, uh, right. as he was describing in, in terms of one of those procedures. So it, it's, it is interesting to think about just on a comparative basis thinking about constitutional courts around the world and how they structure – the, what mechanisms structure the things that get to them. How do they get there? Who can put something before them? Because I'm sure there's a range of, wide range of practices.
1: This is worth talking about more because I'm, you know, I think this is uh, the the political heat around the Supreme Court. In fact, you have a bunch of people on, on, I've seen on Twitter who, while, you know, uh, technically anti-Trump or not part of Team Trump, say, hey, everything's worth it because of Justice Gorsuch. And these Court of Appeals nominees, they all look great, right? And um, I'll just say that irritates me to no end, and I will stop there for right okay. now. But, uh, but there's a lot to think about there. Like, you know, if you, take that out, you take that out of the equation. And, and Anyway, um, well, there's some – we got a lot of other feedback, especially on Twitter on the crossover episode that we did. So it's just some quick hits. Let me give you some quick hits, Joe. Oh, cool. Uh, listener Charlie, listening to this episode counts as studying for finals, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, listener Wyatt – um, said the best moment was Joe saying, I've got the chance to ask Stan ups about Erie." <laughs> it was certainly my best moment. That's a deep cut, isn't it? It was the best moment for me. <laughs> uh, listener Kristen, just when I thought First Monday's uh, guys couldn't get any nerdier, they cross over with Oral Argument and talk about XKCD. <laughs> <laughs> if, if the question is, how could some person get nerdier, an answer, maybe not the only answer, but certainly an answer is, uh, top come three. on Oral Argument. Come on Oral Argument. Sure. Come on. Just come on. We, Absolutely. We'll get you, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take it nerdier. Uh, we also got uh, nice words, just compliments from listener Dylan and from Chief Judge Dillard. Anastasia asks how we didn't use Amici as a name for our fans.
0: Well, I think there are two reasons. Okay. Uh, one is that that is a mispronunciation of that word. Oh, I, I'm sorry. It's Amicus. <laughs> no, it That's is, a deep cut for our It is It is Amici. Uh, really? Yeah, not Amici.
1: How do you know? <clears throat> I don't. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
0: uh, but it is Miki. Okay. Uh, the, uh, uh. the other reason is because it's not, because it doesn't, it's not in our title.
1: If you were eating garum right first now, Mondays, I might trust right? your pronunciation. First
0: Mondays, First they say firsties, right? So first right. it's
1: taking part of the title. And they're able to say, sta- making, they're able to say, stay firsty, my friend. I Which love is that. why
0: I suggested Argy's. Oh, So you take gross. oral argument, Argy's, Right. Doesn't sound very
1: good. It which is terrible. why I don't advocate actually doing it. But if you were going to do it, that would be the thing you would do, right? Instead, we stick to just friend of the show, a, a which very, works a very great. traditional. It works great. Listener, friend of the show, whatever. Well, we'll see when we get a, when we get uh, feedback. I'll just say listener because I don't know if they're a friend of the show. It could be feedback saying, "You know, I want to tell you this idea I had," right. but otherwise, I think you suck. Yeah, I wish I were there
0: to deliver a roundhouse punch in person to your face. <laughs> That's fair I don't enough. Think,
1: I don't, well, I don't know that that's fair. Uh, and then some substantive feedback on that show from listener Andrew on on Twitter. He said he thought the show was really enlightening and thinks that the average non-lawyer would think the profession mostly believes that the system functions appropriately. Like you know, if you're not a if you're not in a field, you would think people in that field mostly think things work okay. But of course, I I think that you know and this is me talking now, Joe. But when you talk to anybody about their job, mostly they complain about how. Everybody else in that field doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> it's just a Fair bunch point. of morons like if we you know we could whip this thing into shape but like you know there's so and so and so and so in the structure and you know so and so in accounting and the middle managers and all that right right not so surprising to me maybe that that lawyers would perceive weaknesses in the legal system but but I, I the, the average non-lawyer he thinks would, would mainly think that people within the system thinks of, think that uh, think people within the system think it works yet it seems more the more that people learn and practice the more they conclude that in particular, Supreme Court jurisprudence is fundamentally flawed and maybe we need to rethink the system of judicial review. I have to say, when I went to law school, reading cases, and this comes back to our discussion of listener Adams long ago feedback about, mm. I was kind of surprised about just how much was up for grabs. Like how fundamental some of the disputes were. You know, you, you think of any other field, like you, you go into, you know, chemistry or math or, or even literary criticism, right? I, I, maybe those disputes are, are fundamental. But like, it takes you a long time just to learn the basics on which everyone agrees to get to the frontier of a particular area, and then there's mm. a lot to there's a lot to do. But like, it's on the back of you know, you're not you know, you're not you're not redoing Pythagoras' his theorem, right? True. Although it, hmm, do I want to say that? I mean, you 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 could redo it. Well, no, of course you could. But I'm, what I'm saying is that, that you know, that that issue is pretty much settled a- until you get to new domains in which it's like arguable whether it applies in the same way. I mean, there's, you know, advanced topology and stuff like that. So uh, wh- any, any thoughts about this? I mean, were you also surprised by how much was kind of up for grabs within the law? Like how little was settled when you studied? Did you know you were getting into something which is more of a dialectic, but where also the the very way that we decide things was disputed? Yeah, I don't, I didn't find law school
0: surprising at all, in any way. Okay, moving on. (laughs) I really didn't. Okay. I think it was, the prior education I'd had up to that point was sort of, there was a great, there was an enormous continuity. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. St. John's College. So it all seemed pretty like, oh yeah, this is what everyone's been doing for all time. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. It is not. What is not most people, most people's college experience, I think does it not, is not like that. Fair it enough. does, is is not continuous with kind of the right. law school dialogue. Right. Method. I agree. Okay. Just a couple more things. Um, uh, Andrew wrote in to remind us that the monkey selfie case is going on and just occurred in the ninth circuit. I'll include a link to that argument. He says the, um, yeah,
0: it was on Wednesday, the 12th of July. It yeah. was argued. I was very, I was both, you can watch the argument <laughs> online. And, and I was... I, I thank Andrew for passing
1: it along. Um, <clears throat> I curse the lawyers who... Oh, uh, this is strong from you. You cur- yeah. Which lawyers? Why do you curse them? I curse the lawyers who, nice.
0: who have been hassling uh, the... My, my my recollection is that the, the lawyers who brought the suit sued the guy whose camera, the macaque, picked up and used. Mm-hmm. Um... I mean, what a! There is no <laughs> copyright claim here. Well, we're going
1: to find out. That's what's at issue. Uh, right?
0: So irritating. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not point. appropriate.
1: Hmm. And and you're not saying that because you think copyright should not exist.
0: No, that's an entirely. Se- uh, y- you could have um, and, and we have had. Uh, Nicholas G. notwithstanding, many conversations, productive ones, good ones, about the scope of copyright. Yeah. And uh, we will continue to have that because uh, those are worthy discussions. This case has no merit. Speaking of Nicholas Georgiakopoulos. <clears throat> the macaque is not an author for purposes of the Copyright Act, period. For purposes of, that's the key. Yeah, it's a statutory claim. Copyrights I, don't exist don't, in don't, the United States unless they are sanctioned by the Copyright Act.
1: Yeah, I wish I'd done more reading about this in advance so I could disagree with you and we could argue, but, um, but I'm going to move on. Speaking of Nicholas G., Nicholas Georgiakopoulos, he writes that he, this is after our Leah Littman episode where we mentioned Wonder Woman, that he needs more detail about your admiration for the Wonder Woman movie. How is it different than superhero tracks down villain, villain turns out to be more powerful, hero finds additional superpower and wins, which I don't think is particularly surprising or novel. Also, why so sen- uh, sentimentally antiseptic? If that is a plus, it's a very sad image of our times. He's trying to harsh your Wonder Woman mellow.
0: <laughs> you know there was there are ways in which it was very no, much. No, are, like...
1: no, Are you no spoilers? Right? This is. Do people need that. to pause? There are
0: ways in which it's a lot like other superhero movies. I, I just think her. Uh, you know, I'll revert to particulars. I mean, her particular story, the particular performance given, the. Just the total combination of what was explored in the movie as an individual piece of expressive stuff. hmm <clears throat> I enjoyed it tremendously.
1: Yeah, I, I did too, just as a, as a popcorn movie, uh, which was, I thought, well-acted and well-done right up until uh, one part. And I would say, in contrast to, you know,
0: the Henry Cavill Superman and the Ben Affleck Batman f- movies, both of which, and I will watch a lot of movies. I mean, I, there's, my standards are pretty low, actually. Yeah. As you know. I agree,
1: yeah. Uh,
0: and those were awful. <laughs> so I'm perfectly prepared to recognize terrible movies of this general
1: Awful type. movies are important, though, because they become great Flophouse episodes. Mm-hmm. So, Fair enough. Uh, on the same topic, listener Spencer said, just says, Star Trek beats Star Wars. <laughs> I think he's just trying to provoke me, though. Yeah, that's trolling. That's some grade A trolling right there. Yeah, wasn't the one with the whales one of, supposedly one of the good ones? <clears <clears <throat> I, I don't know. It isn't it the even numbered ones which are supposed to be good back in the day, right? Wrath of... Co- well, because that was Star Trek Four, the one with the whales,
0: right? And in Wrath of Khan also even numbered because it was the. second one. You
1: know, I don't. One. Th- I'm not sure it holds up. I oh, I, I disagree. I love that movie. I'm not. Uh, I'm not absolutely sure it holds up. though. It
0: re- no, it really does.
1: It's so thin. It's like, it's so, the character, this great character, the Ricardo Montalban, uh con uh, character that I remember, right. you know, quoting Moby Dick and like, yep. you know, it's this, he's got this awesome costume and the, you know, this intense performance. I, th- I feel like on rewatching it, I was like, God, there's not a lot there. It just, there's not a lot there. Okay. Well, but, we, I, but I don't know. I mean, disagree. It's, it's been a while and I'm not, I'm not making a strong claim here, Joe. I'm saying we'd have to watch it again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, I'm prepared the, to do the that. claim.
1: The strong claim I am making, though, is that Star Wars is is superior to Star Trek, full stop.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think I could agree to either claim that uh, that one is superior to the other. I think there's both have so much going for them, and both have so many flaws. Let me pick
1: up a couple of Twitter. It's,
0: it's mix. It's a mixed bag. It's two mixed <laughs> bags. Let me. They're, and they're, maybe you could put them in a big, bigger bag, which would have two separate semi inside bags.
1: Oh, boy. It's all mixed. Star Wars, properly conceived, has no flaws.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I don't sign up for that. Well, the
1: prequels are not in there, obviously. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) Properly conceived. Properly conceived. Properly conceived, no flaws. Okay. Uh, Just one last thing. Just a couple of quick hits here. A couple of self-promotional things. Mm. Meaning that uh, there are things other people said, which promote us. Um... One listener, Michael, said this really nice thing. <clears throat> I never knew I needed a podcast discussing legal papers until I heard oral argument. Oh. Isn't that nice? It is very nice. Yeah, that's like no one expected us, right, Joe? <laughs> is that a Monty, Monty Python kind of thing? This, uh, you're, there's another email from Asher that we haven't talked about. I, I'm, I'll get there. It's, that's the very last one. Okay. It's the um, very last one and and then there is uh i mean we can't get through we can't get through everything we're gonna have to close up the mailbag here in a second no we do
0: need to get through everything because it's been forever since we did mailbag and we said we were doing mailbag
1: oh my god listen so jo-
0: that's why we're going to talk about it
1: another listener who i feel like even though you know it's on twitter but i feel like it should remain anonymous because here's what it says here's what the tweet says joe are you ready for this i'm totally ready don't tell my law school that's how it starts <laughs> don't tell my law school <laughs> right too late But I wish I'd gone to UGA School of Law. Seems fitting since you guys got me interested in law. Isn't that sweet? No, I hope he likes it. (laughs) 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 I hope it works out. Me Uh, too. Yeah. um, No returns. uh, On our last episode about normativity... Uh, listener Mercedes says, so glad OA exists. It reminds me I'm not the only person in the world doing this kind of thinking on a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> we people feel less alone, right? Um, yeah. when they're which is when it was all released. Together. I don't
0: think it was recorded on a Sunday. But
1: yeah, and Listener Wyatt says, you like, to, like that episode a lot. Great resource for people trying to pick up heart by osmosis, mm. which I think is going to send some... That, that's the kind of tweet that would send some legal theorists into... Into, into um, uh, um, what's the right term here? Spasms, paroxysms. Yeah, rage, despair. <laughs> but it is, I mean, like, that's more heart than most people get. But fair enough. Right. And and I, I pointed him, again, self promotionally to the Legal Theory 101 thing. Um, and there's a, I feel like there's another resource, but we'll do that on another show. Um, I You know, I, one other thing I need to say before we do that last email uh, listener Carl on Facebook has been, for a very long time, steadfast in liking the posts uh, um, announcing new shows, new episodes. And for a very long time, and he's never commented. Oh. And so I've never brought it up in a mailbag, but I want Carl to know how much I appreciate him for consistently liking episodes of Oral Argument on Facebook and spreading the, uh, occasionally sharing and spreading the word about... Boosting the signal. Yeah, boosting the signal. Thank you, Carl. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for listening for so long and putting up with us and for... And for continuing to like the episode, hey! If you like oral argument, you know, first of all, forget about this episode. You just you know, put this out of your mind. Think of all the good times. <laughs> <laughs> and oh my! And tell other people to listen to to listen to the show. I, I, we haven't reached all of our potential listeners yet. I agree. We haven't kind of gone through all of the people who will listen for a while and then decide it's not for them yet, have we, Joe? I agree. And I. Think, oh boy, there are another couple. So there's one more from listener Spencer on Facebook about the Normativity show, and then there's a uh, an email from listener Asher on the Leah Littman episode. I yes. feel like we're running really long, though, Joe.
0: We are running long, and I want to talk about the Asher, listener Asher's email. Okay. In, <clears throat> in abbreviated form, okay. simply that, because my recollection of his email is that he generally. Is amenable to Lippmann's insights in sort of debunking anti-novelty as a ground for <clears throat> arguing against constitutionality. Am I? Do I have that right? In the in the first bit of his email, you don't have his email. I, I don't have
1: it in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a long email. I, I I've got this document. And I got a, a bunch. Of, I prepared for this, but despite all available evidence. Wow. I prepared for this. I you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been introducing every one of these emails.
0: Yeah, and I loved it and it made me think that you actually had his email because his because actually, I don't have
1: it either. I actually, in front not. of me, but I have some <laughs> notes about it. I I did not think we would get this far. I thought we'd have to seal the mail mailbag back up because right. you, usually just like just like with our Supreme Court roundups, we get to one or two <laughs> we end up talking for half an hour about each of them, and that's it. And then we have to seal it back up, and we come back to it. That's right. what I thought would happen today. Okay, so we'll put the Asher, the listener Asher. It was about a recent episode. I feel like you know we're gonna have more, and, and we're gonna have another. I think we should do more just you and me shows. Okay, because I feel like this one we got some you know maybe cleared some of the cobwebs. Yeah,
0: fair enough. So we're gonna put that back in the
1: mailbag. Yeah, tie um, it up, tie it up with a with a a velvety bow. A nice Santa felony. Claus bag it's style a very though. gentle satchel. Mm-hmm. Which seems... Our mailbag. ...full of things, but somehow padded. So if it were to fall off the sleigh into the snow, nothing yeah. would get broken.
0: Exactly. It's like a messenger bag for a laptop computer. It's got a lot of padding in there. I don't see it that way at it's all. It's very but
1: comfortable. And, okay, and I see careful. it that way. Sure.
0: It's not going to be harmed. <laughs> right.
1: Yeah, it's not going to be mangled. It's not going to be
0: jostled and busted. Yeah. Even if it's dropped. Even if the bag is dropped.
1: Okay, I, I'm feeling ready to do this now. I'm going to hit stop and we're just going to, now we're going to do it for real. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a week though, am I right? <clears throat> yeah. Do you, I mean, do you see why? Like, you know.
0: Of course I see why. What do you mean? Of course I see why. I mean, a, apparently there are a bunch of people in the country who don't feel this way, but.
1: I'll, I'll let the silence there speak for itself. Yeah. What else? Nothing. What do you mean what else? Do you have any other news to report? No. Okay. Are we going to have a show next week? Yeah. Will there be... How much more sniffling and hacking will there be next week?
0: If people are very lucky, every bit as much. (laughs) But if people are not lucky, very little. Should I even publish this episode? There couldn't be more, because if there were more, it would mean I was dead.
1: (laughs) No, then there'd be less. Boy, that's a... Boy, that's a right, right up until the moment,
0: right? You'd catch me <laughs> in the last hour and it would just be you Boy, know, would lots
1: be. of hurling
0: and chunking. That's and...
1: how we would immortalize this podcast if yeah. we captured, this would be like Joe's last lecture kind of thing. Joe's yeah. last...
0: My, my last breaths. Into what do you mean should you send it? Of course you should send it. Joe's
1: last breaths into the receiving <clears throat> end of the Derek Muller mic. Exactly. My rattling roomy gasps of death. <laughs> Oh, this episode is so terrible. <laughs> I disagree. It is so awful. I can tell. Can't you tell? <laughs> Not at all. I think it's been delightful.
0: <sighs> You're going to cut out a little, you got to snip out some little bits. But after they're snipped out, it's golden. It's is golden. You think
1: I'm going to turn this episode into some kind of bonsai tree? <laughs> <laughs> Do it, dude. All right. I got to go.